All right. Well, good morning. Um, for those of you who are tuning online, uh, Facebook, YouTube, podcast, um, also everybody that's here, more importantly, <laughs> it has been so great to actually get together on a Sunday, and I can't, it only makes me more excited for when we actually will be able to start um, meeting, and um, big kudos, Sally, for the breakfast, that was amazing, thank you, uh, we all very much enjoyed that. Uh, a couple of quick announcements, um, wanted to give you a quick update on the podcast, so I didn't read through the whole entire distribution process. So actually, it could take up anywhere from two to three or four weeks. So it, it, there is a, a podcast available through anchor.fm backslash Soundwords Bible Church. Uh, but within the next, I would say within the next month, we'll start seeing it get distributed to all the other podcasts like Spotify, iTunes, Outcast, and all those other ones. Uh, so that was just the only update I had about that. Still waiting um, for any more news about uh, meeting in the place. Uh, so keep your prayers in for that. And also uh, pray for those who uh, were not able to be here this morning. Um, and so today's message, I've titled it, The Biggest Decision of Your Life. Okay, that is today's message. And there's a couple questions that uh, I want to address and that we'll kind of dive into. Number one is, what is the grace of God? Two would be, do you believe in it? And three would be, do you know anyone who claims to believe in grace, but then their actions say otherwise? Uh, in other words, they're, they're claiming grace, but they don't give it to anybody. Okay? These are some of the things that I kind of want to dive into as I've been thinking um, about it and, and, and the Word this week. So... Um, First and foremost, we must define what the gospel of the grace of God is in order to understand what is the grace of God. So we're going to start in Acts 20, verse 24. Let's go there. Acts 20, 24. If you have your tablet, your phone, or your um, Bible, we're going to start in Acts 20, 24. Now, this is Paul, and we're in Acts 20, and, and he's beginning to go into prison. And we'll jump in verse... Uh, well, he's getting ready to go to, to Jerusalem, and he's going to be bound. Uh, we'll jump in verse 23. Uh, 22. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save the Holy Ghost witness, witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide in me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now, this is the only place, to my knowledge, in the Bible where you see Paul talk about testifying the gospel of the grace of God. So... Anybody that's been in this fellowship and, and been tuning in online, you know there's a lot of titles in your Bible. You've got the gospel of the uncircumcision, the gospel of the circumcision. You've got the gospel of the kingdom. You've got the gospel of Christ. There's all these different titles. And Paul says here, he's talking about testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. Well, what is the gospel of the grace of God? That's what I want to address right now. Let's go back uh, a few chapters. Let's, let's go all the way back to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. 
Now, Acts chapter 9, this is where Paul first gets saved, okay? And um, it's important for you to understand that Paul, when you look at Paul's ministry and you look at the 13 epistles that he wrote, it wasn't like God just zapped this man with lightning and boom, he had all this knowledge. No, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse uh, 1 says, I will come unto visions and revelations of the Lord. Meaning Paul was going to receive visions and revelations of the mystery in, in over time, a period of time. And I think there's a, a, a lot of confusion today when it comes to Paul amongst churches. And that doesn't, I, I'm just going to say, leave it right there. Everybody is confused about these books. And there's even some Bibles that they just completely remove his 13 epistles out of it because it doesn't line up with the rest of the scripture. So there's, it's important to understand that there is a progression in Paul's ministry. Okay, and so when you look at what Paul preaches, I'm going to show you a couple of verses, three distinctly, where Paul receives something new. Okay, first off, I want us to ask the question, okay, when Paul began his ministry, what did he start preaching? Okay, what did he start preaching? Notice in Acts chapter 9, verse 20. And straight away he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he, talking about Christ, is the Son of God. So, Acts 9, verse 20, it tells us, right when Paul got saved, what's the first thing he went and started doing? He went into the synagogues, and he was preaching, Christ, he is the Son of God. In other words, hey, you remember that guy that I was, all these, these, the little flock, Peter and the twelve, these ones that I was persecuting, uh, had letters from Damascus to bring him into prison and having them slaughtered, wreaking havoc on the church. Well, guess what? Those guys that were preaching Christ, I am now acknowledging that they were right and that he, Jesus is who he says he was. He was the Son of God. All right? Very clear that we see that's what Paul started preaching in the beginning because that's all he knew. Because he had not received all the, the full revelation of the mystery. I will come unto visions and revelations of the Lord. Let's go to Acts chapter 13. Now when Paul gets saved in Acts chapter 9, he kind of takes a back seat. And the next few chapters, it's just Peter. And continue, continuing this ministry to the circumcision. Going and preaching the word to the Jews only. And when we get to Acts 13, this is where Paul well, his name was Saul, changes to Paul, and he now begins his ministry. He's now beginning his ministry, and Peter and the, the rest of the guys, they kind of take a back seat, and now it's just Paul from the rest of the book of Acts. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but he goes into a synagogue, and uh, they're reading from the Law of Moses, they're reading from the Old Testament Scriptures, and they say, men and brethren, does anybody have a word to share? And sure enough, Paul finally stands up and he gives this long address to Israel. And he kind of goes through the history of the nation. And when he gets to verse 38, Acts 13, verse 38, he's going to say something so incredibly profound that this is something that you've never seen before in the scriptures. All right, especially for a Jew to hear this. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 38, it says, Paul writing, Be it known unto you, therefore, talking to those in the synagogue and those that feared God. So there, there was also Gentiles that blessed Israel here present. Men and brethren, 
that through this man, talking about Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. This is something completely new, folks. This is not anything what Peter was preaching in Acts 2 and 3 and read all the way up to 11. He did not preach that. He was saying those that fear God and do works of righteousness, that's completely different from what we just said. Through this man, Christ, preached unto you, you've got the forgiveness of sins. All right? And it's, it's being justified apart from the law of Moses. That, that's brand new stuff, guys. I don't know how to put that any other way. This is a different message. And I'm going to tell you right now, I believe he starts preaching, this is my opinion, I believe he starts preaching the gospel of Christ here. That pretty much sums up what it is. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that in His blood we have the forgiveness of sins. And that's what we're reading right there. It doesn't say it exactly, but that's what I'm seeing. Paul expounds a little bit more, uh, to, and then we're talking about the being justified from the law of Moses. Hold this, let's go to Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, notice in verse 4. being justified from all things from the law of Moses. Romans chapter 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Kind of lines up with what Paul was just expounding there. Being justified from all things from the law of Moses. For those that believe. You know, one of the things why I think Paul's letters are so hard to be understood that Peter talks about in Second Peter is that Paul... You've got to realize this is one of the most unique men in the Bible in the, in the sense that not only did he go to the kings and the children of Israel, but he's the only guy that was appointed as the apostle of the Gentiles. And the thing you need to understand from Acts chapter 13 to Acts 20 is Paul, you can read as his manner was, he was going into the synagogues. Okay, Where is, who goes to the synagogues? Jews. Jews go to synagogues. And when you look at the temple, there were the outer courts where the Gentiles met. Now, these were Gentiles that knew that the God, the Lord, what, the Lord God Almighty, was God of Israel at one point. He, he carried that title all the way up until we get to Paul. And interestingly enough, you won't find the title God of Israel in Paul's epistles. Not there, because he's not the God of Israel today. Now, that's something that might stir up a, a whole entire hive, me just simply saying that. But the fact is, is that Israel fulfilled the prophet Hosea. Remember the three children, Laruma, uh, Jezreel, Loamai. There would come a time where Israel would be declared, not my people. And you can read all of Paul's epistles, and, and Paul even refers to that, that God would make himself known to those who didn't even call or seek after him. And I'm paraphrasing that. That's from my old NIV days. But anyways, this is just, just a joke. But point being made, Paul's epistles, 13... Let me just say this. This is a Jewish book. Every single one of these 66 books was written by a Jew. Now, in this room, I can take a look around. I know there's no Jews here. 
and none of us were brought up in it. This is a quote-unquote foreign book. And a lot of people, when they read the Bible, they think that all of it is, that they're in it. So they'll, they'll, they'll make the mistake that I made. I read the Old, the Old Testament, and I get to Ezekiel, the prophet, speaking the dry bones to rise them up, and guess what? I read, I suppose, I'm like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to pray this right now. A lot of people take that mindset. But that's not how it is. You need to understand the context. What's being said, where it's being said, who's it's being speaking to. And the point I guess I'm trying to make is that when you read Acts 13 to 20, Paul is going into the synagogues. He's speaking with Jews, and Jews only knew the Old Testament scriptures. And if you really want to dive deep into that, well, you need to dive deep into the Old Testament scriptures, and man, you'll find a lot that talks about Christ, that Paul was testifying to them. That's how he was able to reason with them out of the scriptures to believe that Jesus was the Christ and who he said that he said he was. Then when you get to Acts 20 through 28, Paul goes into prison. Okay? He's in prison, and there's something unique that I see, and it's this group called heathen. These are Gentiles that wanted nothing to do with the synagogues. They didn't want to be anywhere near Israel. They straight up hated Israel. As a matter of fact, they wanted to kill Israel, and they're trying to wipe out Israel even today. (laughs) Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly is everybody in this room right now. Now, some of us might not want to kill Israel. I'm not trying to say that. But the point being made is that through the revelation of the the mystery given to Paul, it was revealed that Christ died for the ungodly. Ungodly, people that want absolutely nothing to do with God. Atheists, agnostics. I was atheist for the first 19 years of my life. I didn't believe in God. I, I had ignorance in me. I did not know. No one, and how do, you, how do you break ignorance? You tell somebody. You share the truth with them. You share the word. It's the word that works effectually it's not you or me. It's the word that does, does it. So, um, Christ died for the ungodly. Let's go to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time... Christ died for the ungodly. Now, I kind of hinted towards this group called the heathen. So let's go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Let's jump to verse 9. Paul talking about testifying to the gospel of the grace of God in Acts 20, 24. Notice what it says in Galatians 2, 9. And when James, this is Paul writing, Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived, what are the next two words? The grace that was given unto me. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go to the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. So who are the heathen? I'm a big fan of letting the word explain the word. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Who are the heathen? Who are the heathen? Ephesians chapter 2. Notice in verse 11. Wherefore remember 
that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So right there, verse 12 sums it up. These, the heathen, were people that were without Christ. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They basically were illegal immigrants. That might be a good word for me to use today that might make sense of that. Uh, Strangers from the covenants of promise. Those covenants of promise is talking about Abraham, Moses, David, Abraham promising to God promised him to make of him a great nation. And Moses telling them that they were going to be a nation of priests. That's where the water comes, the washing of water. Priests need to be washed with water. And David, that out of his loins would rise up a king that would reign here on the earth and execute judgment and justice throughout the earth. These heathen had no part of it. They didn't even know what it, they didn't even know these promises, all right? And then when you get to no hope, meaning you go, let's go to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. And uh, we'll read him we'll jump in verse 11. Genesis 17 verse 11. Now, this is God introducing the covenant of circumcision. And remember, these heathens are strangers from this covenant. Well, let's read what was the gist of this covenant. Uh, Genesis 17, verse 11. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. Now, this is the Lord God speaking to Abram. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money or of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. So essentially, you had to be circumcised to be identified with the nation Israel. And if you didn't do this, even if they brought a servant in from a different nation, they didn't circumcise that child or that man, he was cut off. That's what we just read. You were cut off from that blessing that Israel got from God. Now, the heathen, these are all those uncircumcised in the flesh. That's what, we're, that's what we just read. That's what Paul expounded upon. Let's finish what Paul writes. Let's finish. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll reread and keep reading. So Ephesians chapter 2, 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. So it's Israel. They're, they always kind of, I'm not trying to make them look bad or good, but you know Israel would look down upon other nations. That's why 
even when Jesus was questioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Matthew, distinctly he says, it's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. Not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the uncircumcised Gentiles, heathen, right? So anyways, let's keep reading. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant, covenants of promise, having no hope, without God in the world. But now, meaning everything that we just read, something changed. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. That's Incredible that the God of Israel at one point who had wanted nothing to deal with the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, the, the heathen, the ones that he actually wiped out before the nation Israel as they were coming in the land. Enemies of God. That through the blood we have now been at peace with God. That's, that's incredible. It's, in, it's incredible. We're justified by His blood. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verse 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. I love that verse. It's incredible. The, there's power in the blood, folks. And this is completely different from what Peter's ministry is all about. Because remember, Israel, they had to repent and be water baptized. They had to be washed for the remission of sins. That was part of the program with Israel. But through Paul, it's the blood of Christ that we have forgiveness of sins. That's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. In other words, there is absolutely Nothing you can do for your salvation apart from simply believing on and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Believing that He died, He was made sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And you just simply trusting in it. There's nothing that you can give. You can't tithe. You can't be a good person. There's nothing you can do for your salvation apart from believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God's doing today. And there's a lot of people that are missing that. They're missing that. So, what is the grace of God? The grace of God is simply this. It's a free gift. Your salvation is a free gift. If someone gives you a gift, did you do anything to earn it? No. You, you, don't, you didn't do anything when someone offers you a gift. The same thing applies with God dealing with people today and individuals. He's patient. He's long-suffering. And He's constantly holding out the grace of God for those who will simply hear it, believe it, and just trust it. That's it. That's the message that we preach. And there's, there's no way I can pretty it up other than that's it. And that's the power of God to salvation today. Do you believe in the grace of God? Do you believe that there's nothing that you can do that when you die, you're trusting that you're going to be with Jesus Christ. That's it. Do you believe that? Now, I want to move and transition a little bit, because I think this is really important, how 
Paul describes the relationship between Christ and his body, because that's what God's doing. He's forming the body of Christ. And there's an important thing to be had here. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be reading quite a bit, and then we'll break it down. We'll jump in verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise... Did I tell you 14, verse 17? Ephesians 5, verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves to your, unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. You know, I think it's pretty... There's a lot that we read here, and we could spend weeks going over this passage. And there's something that um, has just been sitting with me this week that I've been thinking on. I find it incredible that Paul uses the marriage relationship to describe the relationship between Christ and the church today. And he uses the marriage relationship to describe it. And one of the things that kind of stuck out to me is in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, I'm going to speak to men and the husbands, you know, in this room. Have you really considered the depth of this statement? <laughs> Have you really considered... What that means. Let's, let's think about that. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Let's jump to Philippians chapter 2 and we'll read verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him this form of a servant, 
and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Husband, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It, it, It's such a powerful picture that we have here in what we just read. And if you look at the marriage and divorce rates now today, it's pretty shocking. I mean, it's, I gotta imagine it's less than 50% now. We're living in days where this right here, it's hard to find. It's hard to find the word. It's hard to find people that are speaking the word into each other's lives and edifying one another to not only hear it, but to do it. And when you consider, when, when Paul talks about husband loving your wives, even if Christ loved the church, men, it, you, think about it. God is a righteous God. He's always right. We're wrong. We're wrong. And we're sinners. We, we, we do the wrong things. And God had every right, if he wanted to, to completely strike us down and just completely, we'd be done. But that's not what God did, did he? No. No, he, he actually came down, Christ, made himself of no reputation, humbled himself to the form of a servant, and even though we were wrong, he still went to the cross. He still bore our shame, despising the shame, made himself obedient to death, and literally died for us. And I'm telling you what, if... if, if if husbands really loved their wives the way that Christ loved the church, this is just my opinion, I think we'd see a lot more people that would actually respond to the Word of God and would actually want to hear and learn what it is that God intended for us because they start seeing this incredible picture because I believe that marriage is one of the ways that God uses to be a picture between Christ and church. It's supposed to be this awesome serving and submitting to one another. And it's amazing how this thing, people like don't even want to hear it nowadays. You read this passage of Scripture, most women are like, yeah, no way I'm going to do that. And the other guy, and then the guys are like, see, you got us a bit. <laughs> well, guys, have you thought that if you actually loved her as Christ loved the church, then maybe she would want to submit? You know, you think about it, Christ was the one that made the first move. He's the one that chose us. So guys, guess what? When you're in a fight, when you're in pickle, when things are tough, do you think that God called the woman to, oh, you know what, I'm going to rush in and try and figure this out. No, it's men. Men, you're supposed to rise up and say, you know what, I'm going to lay down my life, even though you might be right or you might be wrong, doesn't matter. I'm going to choose to love you and, and, and do it. And Hey, i got to amen on my wife. Thank you. I, let me just say this real right. Lauren, I don't got to figure out. We've been through a, a lot. We've, I've been extremely stubborn. I don't know how she's dealt with me. But it, it took me a long time to get this. And it's, it's a very powerful, powerful thing. Christ, even as Christ loved the church, he endured the cross, despised the shame. He laid down his life, humbled himself, became a servant. So in other words... There are going to be times that if you're in a relationship, it's going to get tough. Oh, it's going to get hard. You probably might even fall out of, out of love. 
right? Oh, I don't love the person anymore. Well, guess what? Jeremiah tells us that the heart is desperately, desperately wicked. Who can, who can know it? That's why the Word of God, it's, it's, it's your firm, sound foundation that you can trust in and stand on to hold you through those times. Because the heart is desperately wicked. Husband and wives, our marriage is supposed to be a reflection of what Christ has done for His church. So, in closing, I guess we'll wrap this up. Do you believe in the grace of God? Do you believe that for your salvation, are are you trusted in what Christ did for you? And then for those who believe in the grace of God, are you extending that same grace, not only in the marriage relationship, but in natural relationships, your friends, your family, your children? Are you extending grace? Or are you kind of holding this knife behind your back, saying, you know what, you hurt me. Mm, I'm not going to give you my grace right now, because you hurt me, right? That's why Paul tells us to, what does it say in Ephesians chapter 4? Let's go there, and we'll close. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. Let's jump to verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So even as God completely forgave you of everything, every single sin, every single wrong that you've done, you should be able to now forgive others and extend that same grace. Now I've got one finger pointing towards you and I've got five pointing at me when I say this. But man, if the church, the body of Christ could get this concept, I think we'd see way more advances in the gospel of Christ spreading. Because right now, I'll tell you what, I believe the church, the body of Christ, is giving a ton of place to the devil. And he's being able to run rampant and cause all these divisions. The hive and people are holding on to this bitterness, malice, all these things that we're supposed to put away. So... Uh, and when we think about the grace of God, that gives us the power now to extend grace to others. So uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for um, your word. We thank you so much for the grace of God. We thank you for the blood that we have the forgiveness of sins, and we thank you for raising your Son on the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead third day for our justification. We thank you for your word that can edify us and build us up. And God, we pray uh, that we would just love others as Christ loved us, extending that grace and just being a reflection of what you've done for us, living it out in our lives. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. We praise you all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll see you guys tomorrow night for part three of the Three Falls. We're going to be diving into further explanation of the fall of Israel as Paul explains it in his epistles. Thank you so much.